first and foremost, you are amazing and you have it in you to accomplish anything that you set your heart to. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. And I mean it when I say that today's episode is amazing and epic and incredible and all the things because I'm sitting down with the founder of Clever Girl Finance, Bola Sukumbi. She is probably one of my all-time favorite new human beings by the time I was done with this interview, and she's going to be one of your all-time favorite human beings as well. So at the core, she's a certified financial education instructor, so she definitely has all the education to back up the information she's giving out around personal finance, but she's also a best-selling author and a speaker and founder of the Clever Girl Finance Community, which is a massive, I mean, like jealousy level massive community of incredible human beings consuming her content. And one of my favorite things in the world about her is that she has made all of her content, all of her courses free because we're all facing such challenging times. And so this is somebody who absolutely walks the walk and fits our ethos here on the show. And so it's no surprise that you've seen her on Time, you've seen her on Money Magazine, CNBC, Forbes, Fast Company, uh, guys, everywhere. She's everywhere. And the fact that she took time to sit down with us today is an absolute blessing. So you're going to love our conversations around what order should you be investing in? You're going to love her story as to how she was even inspired to start this brand to begin with. You're going to love her story on how she saved her first $100,000. And we even get her to talk about some of the financial mistakes that she's made so that we realize we all make mistakes when it comes to our finances. I know I certainly have. We've got, we have a great conversation about not just the gender gap, but also the uh, wealth gap in the Black community versus other communities. I mean, this show covers every single corner, and it's going to be one of your favorites, especially from a pure content content standpoint, teaching you what to do and what not to do. And then we top it all off with a great conversation about generosity, something that she and I absolutely share as a common ethos. So listen, get ready for one of the greatest episodes that we have done with some of the best information that we're ever going to share, because what Bola shares with you coming up right now is absolutely incredible. So let's go. Bola, welcome to the show. I have to say, I'm a huge fan of all the content that you you pump out. I found you through a friend of ours, Patrice Washington. And so I've been really looking forward to this interview. Thank you for the opportunity to be here, Chris. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Oh, totally my privilege. So I start all my shows off with rapid fire. It's kind of a fun way for my listeners <laughs> to get to know you in a hurry. And if it something is. really good comes up, we'll circle back around. Are you in? I'm in. Let's all right. do it. We're going to start so easy. Where'd you grow up? Between Nigeria and Austria. Amazing. Do you know how much better of an answer that is than most people who are like, uh, Sacramento? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing against Sacramento. <laughs> and where do you live now? New Jersey. Very cool. Uh, favorite quote? Oh my gosh, so much pressure. What if I fail, but what if I fly? Ooh, I love that. What is one of your superpowers, would you say? I'm just amazing. <laughs> yes. No, on a serious note, um, my superpower is that I, I pride myself on being very effective. And I have to be because I have young kids and I'm running a business. 
I liked your I like that answer, but I loved your first answer as well. I say you just rock that. Yes. So good. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments so far? My twins. Oh, I love that. My wife and I have been married 15 years coming up uh, this August, and we're just now getting around to getting serious about starting a family. So <laughs> you've got a good jump start on us. You'll love it. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't wait. What is one of your all-time... Uh, I'm sorry. What is one thing you're challenged by right now? My kids. <laughs> Being home, you know, trying to run my business. My husband's rarely home. So homeschooling, summer camp counselor, everything is me. Um, it's a challenge. <laughs> If I'm being honest. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, Only two more quick questions left here. And I know this is one that you and I share an ethos on. What is something generous that you've done recently? We made our entire course platform free permanently on Clever Girl Finance because of what's happening, the circumstances that are impacting so many people. Oh, amazing. I cannot wait to circle back around and talk on that one. And last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Being able to wake up to be healthy, to be alive. I'm grateful for that every single day, especially given the time that we're, we're living in right now. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, you and me both. So let's go a little bit deeper. And I want to start with this. I love your brand and the, the fact that your passion is to build a financial education community for women and just really help them achieve financial wellness and, and live like this dream life. Um, I know your mother was a huge inspiration for you in this brand and your mission that you're on today. Could you tell us how she inspired you to build the empire that you built? Yeah. So my mom is the original clever girl. That's what I call her. And um, she is the inspiration behind pretty much everything I do with the business. She was a woman... I mean, she still is alive, but she's a woman who got married very 19 years old. She had a high school degree and nothing else. And she married an older guy, my dad, who was you know about 30, had his masters going for his PhD. And it was this traditional setting of the mom was a stay-at-home mom, raised the kids. And that was what my mom had, you know, she was prepared for that. And as she started getting older into her late 20s and early 30s, she started seeing things around her that were happening with her friends that just did not sit well with her. She was seeing friends getting divorced and just having nothing in terms of financial um, fallback. She was seeing friends, unfortunately, a couple of her friends lost their spouses young. And they had no idea of the family finances or the husband's family would come in and take things over. And she decided that she just didn't ever want to find herself in that position, given the fact that my dad was the breadwinner. And so I remember one of my, you know, my earliest memories of my mom is of me and my mom together. It's her taking me to her college classes as a three or four year old and putting me in the seat next to her and telling me to shh because she had to pay attention in class. So my mom went on to get her undergrad and master's degree. And while she was doing all that, she was facing pushback from my dad, who was very much you know, about that traditional setting. I'm going to take care of my family. My wife is going to stay home and take care of the kids. But my mom wasn't having that because she wanted to be able to have her own financial independence. And not just that, but also to be someone who was part of the support of our family. So she did that, um, got her master's, started working, started side hustling. My mom was working full-time and she had all of these hustles. She had a bakery. She was a Coca-Cola drinks um, franchisee. She had all these different things going on. And then fast forward several years, my dad goes through a financial downturn where he has health issues and then he has to retire about 15 years earlier than he had planned. And my mom steps in and she's the breadwinner. And not only does she step in to take care of our family, she also supports me going to college by paying my tuition in addition to a partial scholarship that I, I got. 
because I couldn't qualify for any student loans. And it was a challenge for her. But the only reason why she was able to do this was because she she decided to stand firm and say, I want to be able to contribute to this household financially. I want to get my education. And that is something that just has always stayed with me um, since I was young, watching my mom just hustle. Um, and even to this day. Wow. Okay. Your mom is a total hero. That is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Listen, this is... We can't like take this lightly. This sounds like it was a generation ago or two, and we know for a fact. Like if I look at my parents, um, that was just like you said. That was not normal. Like it was. It was not the time where women were saying, "Wait, I want to take control of my own finances, and yeah. I don't want to be left vulnerable to my husband being the only breadwinner." Like what an incredible example to set for you. Yeah, you know, and just to give you more context, you know, on my dad's side, my dad has a twin sister and she is not formally educated, which means she doesn't read or write. Uh, She didn't go to grade school or high school or anything like that. She has a traditional education, like a life life education. And that was because my grandfather did not believe in educating the female child, right? On my mom's side, it was like, well, you get married and your husband will take care of you. So at that time, and given just where we came from, for my mom to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to do this, it was a big deal. And there was a lot of family conflict when I was growing up around my mom's decision. Wow, what a strong woman. That is so cool. Now, what does your mom think of what you're doing today? I've got it. Oh, she loves it. She's always finding ways to tell everybody, strangers on the street, <laughs> do you have my daughter's book? <laughs> do you know Clever Girl Finance? <laughs> she oh loves God. it. <laughs> I love that. Aren't parents the best when they do that? It's really yes. <laughs> she must be so proud of you. I got to ask, what did your dad say when she swooped in and saved the day when he had his downturn? I think at that point, they had kind of gone on the same I think the initial conflict was my dad getting used to having my mom as a working woman. And I think I understand, you know, from his perspective, there was an ego thing. There was maybe he felt like, well, why are you trying to take over my responsibility of taking care of the family, which is what I've always committed to doing, you know? So, but as time went by, he got with it. He got with the program. He realized that this wasn't a competition. It was a partnership. And when she, she won, they both won. And so at that time when the transition happened and my dad had to retire and all of that. Um, he was happy that we had my mom essentially as the backup plan. Yeah, I'd imagine. That's so cool. So you got to go to college because of your mom and right after you graduated, and let's just be clear, when most people graduate college, they are a financial mess, like student loans, the whole nine yards, credit cards. But right after you graduated in just three years, you managed to save your first $100,000. Is that right? Yes, that is right. So um, I was fortunate, like I said, to go to college without any loans um, because number one, I couldn't qualify for them as an international student. And uh, I was able to get partial scholarships. So my mom also helped to um, pay for my college education. That was at a major expense to her retirement. I remember her telling me, she sat me down and she told me, listen, I don't owe this to you. This is not your right, right? This is me doing you a favor. And if I'm going to put my hard-earned money to send you to college, you're going to do a couple things. You're going to find scholarships to help minimize my burden, and you're going to do well in school. And so, you know, just knowing where I came from, um, it was something that was always in the back of my mind. I have to do well in my classes. I have to try to find scholarships. There was a time where the money was just not enough, and I took a year off of school. 
Um, and I worked in that time so that we could save money to send me back for my last year. So I didn't take it for granted. And so as soon as I graduated and I got my first job, I was making $54,000 before taxes in New York. I was like, oh my God, I absolutely, this is the most money I've, I've earned in my life. I told my mom, this is my salary. And I just, I was focused on saving as much money as I possibly could. My challenge was that I didn't know anything <laughs> about money. I didn't know about budgeting or investing. So it was a lot of me figuring things out, a lot of trial and error and just finding my space. And it was also a lot of you know working on myself and building my own financial confidence. Because as a young person, if you know, for anyone who's listening, you know what peer pressure is like, especially when you're living, you're working in a city like New York where everything is fast and flashy and exciting. It's so easy for your money to slip through your fingers. So I really had to in, work on my internal self as well as work on my financial knowledge in order to make that accomplishment. Listen, that's no small accomplishment. New York is expensive. And to do that on a $54,000 salary, I know a lot of people that make twice that salary or three times that salary, and they have no savings to show for it. So that's a super huge accomplishment right out of school. You mentioned that um, New York is a flashy town and there's a lot of financial distractions and it's hard with peer pressure. So far, it seems like you've had it all together financially since day one. Have you made any big money mistakes or did you fall for any of the flashiness? Oh my God, of course I've been. Who hasn't made money mistakes, Chris? I mean, me, me to the of max. Of course so. I've made mistakes. Yeah. So I mean, I did some things well. Like you said, New York is very expensive. When I bought my first condo, I moved out to New Jersey and I would commute into the city. Um, you know, so, so I did some things well, but I didn't make tons. I made so many money mistakes. I got to a point where I had saved over $100,000 and I had all this money that in the bank. I was single, you know, and I was like, oh my God, I wanted to designer handbag. Everybody has designer handbags. The Sex of the City girls have all these designer handbags. And I went and I bought one and there's nothing wrong with having something nice that you've worked hard for, that you're not getting into debt for. But for me at that point, I just felt like, well, I have one, it's not enough. And so every few months I would reduce how much I was saving and I would go buy another handbag. <laughs> and the trouble with my purchases are like, I was never using these purses. So my cost per wear was zero. It was in fact in the negative because some of them may not have even come out of the box. Oh and I, you know, it was, it was just me feeling like, well, I'm still saving a little bit. I'm not saving as much because I'm buying handbags, but I deserve it. I work so hard, but it wasn't, you know, I don't, I guess my mental space at that time was not really I don't think I was being very objective. And I was caught up in the fact that, you know, a material thing versus long-term thinking. And it took a while, but eventually I sold all of them. Well, most of them. And I took that money and I put it into my investment accounts. And there is, you know, I talk about this in my book about um, the missed opportunity where at the time, ironically, I was learning about investing. I was getting into investing more so than my that with my employer's account. And I had wanted to invest in Amazon. And if I'd taken the money from that first bag that I bought that cost me $28.50, I would have had over $30,000 from that one handbag if I invested it in Amazon over a certain amount of time. So imagine if I had taken the money from all the bags I bought. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. So I, don't, I try not to think about it. That one hurts, but that's just one of many, many mistakes. And I, I learned, for me, my biggest lesson there was that I can have nice things, but everything in moderation and it has to make sense. And I have to use this and gain happiness and joy from this item. Otherwise, it's a waste of time and a waste of money. That's such a good, good lesson because we all go through that. For me, it was cars and, and you know, for other people's handbags or shoes or clothes or who knows what it is. 
What do you think those handbags represented to you in the time when you were buying them but not using them? For me, it was accomplishment. Mm. It was, it was, they were my pride and pride and joy. I love handbags. I still do to this day. But for me, every time I could buy a handbag, it was like, wow, look at what I can do. I can actually afford to do this. It was an accomplishment, but it was just channeled in the wrong way because you don't need all those things to be accomplished or feel accomplished. I couldn't agree more. So let's kind of shift the focus to a lot of today's modern day women. That's who you're really inspiring out there, men and women, quite honestly, because I love your content. But I know you're really focusing on helping women become financially free. What are some of the most common mistakes you see them making right now today? So when it comes to women and money, um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of mistakes that we make, but I believe that in order to grow, you have to, um, you have to make these mistakes. But I think the challenge is in recognizing what's happening and addressing it quickly. I think a big mistake um, that women make is just if they feel uncomfortable about finances, just assuming, well, that's how it's supposed to be. And I don't want to talk, I shouldn't have to talk about about this because I just automatically assume that I'm not good with money. So a lot of women tell themselves that they're not good with money. And I think that's a big mistake because we are incredible with money. We are, you know, more so than men. Statistics have shown this, but we just need to give ourselves the opportunity to learn how it works. So that's one. Um, another mistake is just waiting until later, waiting until we earn more, waiting until we get married, waiting until we get divorced, waiting until whatever happens to save more, to start investing. Uh, and I think the, the, the issue there is there's that opportunity of time that you lose to grow your investments, to grow your savings, right? And it's not about how much you don't have now. It's what you do with what you have right now, even if it means just saving a little bit of money or investing a little bit. I remember when I was in those early stages of saving that $100,000, I wanted to stay consistent because I knew that if I let myself slip up, I would find ways to spend my money. And I remember vividly driving. I had uh, a dollar left over from my budget. And at the time, online banking did not let you transfer $1 between banks. It was like a, was like a $10 minimum. <laughs> uh-huh. So I couldn't do an online transfer. So I remember taking my dollar and driving all the way to the bank, like 20 minutes away from where I was to go make this deposit. And I get there and the bank teller is like, she looks at me like, really, is this a joke? And I'm like, no, I want to deposit my dollar. But for me, it was about keeping up with that schedule, keeping up with that consistent attitude of saving. And I, see, I think that's, that's what really matters. Um, and I think the third mistake is just for us is continuing to make money a taboo subject. Money is something that we need to talk about and talk about often, and it should be part of our conversations um, as women. And it's not entirely our fault, you know. As women, we talk about everything from dating to sex to hair to reality TV. We talk about our businesses, our kids, all kinds of things. But when it comes to money, there's always that sense of competitiveness or. I'm not doing as well as my neighbor or my friends or my siblings. And that that makes me not as good as I I could be, or it makes me, I don't know, it makes me not good enough. So I don't want to talk about this. And I think when you think about, you know, just going back to my mom's generation, or even my grandmother's generation, traditionally the household was the mom stayed home, took care of the kids. The guy went to work, made the money. And what would happen is that, you know, in families, mothers would take their, their daughters aside and pass down recipes, right? And 
house homemaking. And fathers would take their sons, sons aside and pass down business tips and money tips. And it was just, that was just how it was back then. But in today's world, the tables have changed so much where women are now breadwinners or they're sole household earners or they're, you know, we're graduating college more so. Um, we're opening businesses at record paces. We have to take ownership of our, our finances. Many of us are choosing to remain single, right? So this is, this is something that we definitely have to focus on. So those are some mistakes. Um, but I think, again, with every mistake, there is a learning opportunity. It's just recognizing what's happening so you can start to take action on it. Yeah, I totally agree. So let me ask the inverse of that question. What are you seeing as a trend in women with finances today that just makes you so proud? Oh my God. I mean, women are once... What I've realized in the thousands of women I've, I've spoken to in our community is that once women have that financial education, once they get that insight onto how to accomplish their goals, they go full force towards what they want to achieve. And so women are realizing what it means to invest despite the investment gap, the, despite the gender wage gap. They're still saving. They're still working hard to accomplish their goals. And that's one thing that I, I really pride my community um, for. I'm, I'm proud of my community for, and I am proud of women when I see this happen, is that once they get that insight and they set the intention that, you know what, I'm going to succeed regardless of all the factors working against me, they make things happen. I love that. I couldn't agree more. You know, you brought up the gender uh, wealth gap and the gender pay gap. And there's really two wealth gaps that I would love to ask you about. Uh, the gender wealth gap and also the gap in wealth between the Black community and the rest of the world. It, there's a lot of conversation around that right now. And rightfully so, we're finally having the conversations that are meant to be had. So how, how can we do a better job of getting rid of these gaps that exist in opportunity and in the ability to create wealth? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. And I'll start with the first gap. So the gender wage gap is actually, it actually runs deeper than it appears because, you know, you know, on average, women earn about 20% less than their white male counterparts. If you were to break this down by demographic, um, when you look at white females versus black versus uh, Asian, Hispanic, and you go down Native American, the numbers are more and more depressing. And what happens because these women are paid significantly less, it also means that they have significantly less to pay down debt, right? And significantly less to invest. And the way you grow your money is with investing, right? And if women, especially minority women, are unable to invest adequately, knowing that on average women live longer than men, then this is very, very impactful to our futures and our financial well-being and being able to sustain ourselves um, when we get older, right? So the gender wage gap um, is, is about pay, but it also really drives that investment gap that really impacts the long-term financial wellness of a woman. And I think there are things that we can do as individuals, right, to try to tackle this in terms of trying to save more to budget, trying to find ways to increase our income, negotiating, asking for more, doing our, doing our industry research and challenging our employers. But I think that um, employers need to take corporate responsibility and enact policies that 
allow for fair pay and equal pay regardless of gender. Because if you look at the studies, you'll see that women versus men, um, when you look at the job functions they're doing, when you look at their education um, backgrounds, or you look at their experience, there's no reason why a woman should be getting paid less. So I think corporate corporations need to take responsibility um, employers, um, business owners who are hiring need to be intentional about how they are compensating their employers. And you may not necessarily think about the fact that you have this bias, but it definitely exists. Um, so I think that's something that, that's really important. In addition, obviously, there's gov- government policy that people have been calling for for a long time. But I think, you know, us calling it asking, negotiating, um, employers taking responsibility, responsibility and corporations taking responsibility is really important. And then when you look at that racial wealth gap, um, that's another area that, you know, I, I really find that very depressing. Um, when you look at the numbers, um, you know, the, the statistics around home ownership between white and black communities, um, business ownership, um, uh, average net worth between these communities, the disparities are so, so wide. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons that tie into this racial wealth gap, going back to slave trade, right? Um, going back to segregation, going back to and continuing with racial injustices and biases that make people think that because of the color of somebody's skin, um, their business is not worth patronizing. Or, you know, even when you look at one of the the biggest issues around uh, the wealth gap in communities of color is home ownership and looking at mortgage discrimination and credit discrimination and redlining where people are not given mortgages or they're given excessively high interest mortgages by virtue of who they are, by virtue of their gender, of their race and what community they come from. These are all issues that are just very, very impactful and you know are what caused this just speaking very high level, uh, what are causing this racial wealth gap to exist? And I think that you know there there are ways to begin addressing it. I think it starts with um, individuals empowering themselves with financial literacy. Um, the financial literacy gap is more so in communities of color um, because the education system in these communities is just worse off than any other on average. So getting empowered with financial literacy, but not just for yourself as a person of color, but making it normal conversation in your household, right? Many of us did not grow up having conversations on the dinner table about investments and things like that. And so as you learn, it's important to educate your family and not just educate your family or educate your broader community. It's about, you know, non-minorities acting as allies and supporting these black and brown owned businesses by patronizing these businesses. It's about people of color supporting their own businesses and giving these businesses an opportunity to grow and thrive. It's about financial institutions taking responsibility and really working against the fact that mortgage discrimination exists, even though it's illegal. Credit discrimination exists and making conscious steps to tackle this and give you know, people in minority communities fair access to opportunities to to get mortgages, to build wealth through home ownership. This is a really high level. I think this can be a whole podcast episode on this topic, but yeah. It's such an important uh, topic. I don't care if we spend the whole episode on it because it's that important. And what people don't realize is everybody, if everybody is thriving, 
then a rising tide lifts all ships. So we should all have a vested interest in in lifting everybody up and, and helping everybody thrive. What can somebody like me, what can someone from the white community do to help lift people of color up uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship and, and helping with the wealth gap? You know, so you do an incredible job with educating your audience through this podcast. I think even more targeted education, supporting communities of color. Um, I think patronizing minority-owned businesses intentionally. I think when you see or you hear of an injustice or an unfair situation, even if it's not happening to you directly, calling it out. I think it's also important that everybody gets educated on the history of why we are in this place where we are continuing to face racial injustice and we're continuing to see this wealth gap so that you can truly have a sense of why it's happening and not just think that, well, it's not happening to me, so it doesn't matter. I think that those are things that are really important for people who want to be allies to recognize, right? Getting informed, calling it out, using your voice and your dollars to support these communities through these businesses. And then if you can, with whatever it is that you do, helping to support the growth of these communities through education um, and things like that. I love that. I love that. Count me in. Now, you've brought up uh, the word investing quite a bit uh, when you were telling your story, when you're talking about uh, you know, that you're proud of women and the investing that they're doing right now, when you talked about uh, investing not being taught around dinner tables in certain communities. What order should we be investing our money in? Because there's so much confusing information out there. Should we be doing a 401k first? Should we be paying off our debt first? Do you have a general order? Yeah. So when it comes to investing, I think the most important investment is in yourself, right? Is in your Mm -hmm. education. It's getting informed because, you know, while investing is the way to go, there's a lot of unsavory products out there. There's a lot of scams more so than ever right now because of coronavirus. I've heard so many stories. So the, the, the biggest investment, the best investment is in yourself and in your education. It's you know learning what you, what, what you need to learn, even if it's the basics. It doesn't require you to be an, an expert, but it requires you to understand how things work. And learning could be from books, from videos, from podcasts like this one, or it could be sitting down with a financial expert or an advisor or a planner just to make sure that you have that sense of understanding. Second thing you want to do is set the intention that, okay, I'm putting myself into this for the long haul and I'm going to make this work. Because a lot of people get overwhelmed by what they don't know, right? Um, But what matters most are the steps that you take that lead you up to knowing what you need to know as time goes by. So setting intention is the next most important thing. Then you want to be objective about your big picture. Um, You know, when it comes to investing, what are you investing for? What is your timeline? What are your goals? Um, What is your risk tolerance? And what do your finances look like right now? So in terms of order, you know, typically recommend that you focus on paying off any high interest debt that you have now. Because if you have a credit card, for example, that has a 24.99% interest rate, and then you're investing in the stock market and you know that the average return is about 8%, and you look at that big picture, the, the longer you leave that credit card alone and not pay it, and you keep investing for this average 8% return, you're actually losing money in the big picture of your finances. That being said, though, you can still build wealth through investing while you're focused on paying off debt. And you can do that strategically by being intentional with a debt repayment plan, right? 
And if, for example, your employer has a 401k plan that's pre-tax and they're offering you a match, which is free money, you can take advantage of that at least until, at least by contributing enough to get that match and then focusing aggressively on paying down that high interest debt. And then once that high interest debt is gone, you can take all that money you are putting towards that debt and then start to put it consistently towards your long-term investments. So you can still invest and pay off debt, but you want to look at the big picture of your finances and say, okay, is what I'm doing, does it make sense? Am I putting $1,000 into investments right now, but then I have this super high interest rate on my credit card that's costing me $500 a month in interest, right? So it's all about looking at that big picture and seeing what makes sense, but then prioritizing your education, your intention, paying off that high interest debt, and then investing. I completely agree. Thank you for for clarifying that. Um, I want to switch directions real quick and talk entrepreneurship. You know, we've got so many (laughs) listeners that are entrepreneurs (laughs) and aspiring entrepreneurs, and you've done such a great job with this. And what I think you've done especially well, in my humble, worth nothing opinion, is that you pump out a ton, and I mean a ton, of really, really good content. And we all know that content is the absolute key to growing a brand and and no matter what your brand is. So what's your secret? How are you pumping out so much good content? (laughs) Thank you. And I'm excited to talk entrepreneurship because as a finance expert, it's not something I get to talk about often. I'm always talking Uh about, you know, personal finance. So, you know, content from day one has always been our most important element of marketing, of our marketing strategy. Um, Content is what has allowed us to grow. We are we prioritize content above all else. And the way we do this is by planning, um, is by being conscious to our audience needs. What are they asking? Creating content around that. We recycle a lot of content that's relevant. relevant. And also by tracking our metrics and looking at the data and seeing what resonates and what needs to be reworked or eliminated and what needs to be included. And so content is something that I always tell every entrepreneur, this has to be part of your game plan, especially in this world where we're transitioning more so to online. Everybody, almost everybody has an online presence and there's so much noise. And the way you can stand out and say, hey, look at me, is with content and not just any kind of content, quality content based on what your audience, your customers, your clients need, that painkiller to solve their problem, not just the like, oh, here's a little band-aid, but the actual painkiller. And so um, we do that by planning, like I said, and recycling and looking at the data, looking at the metrics and seeing what's working and trying to continuously um, um, innovate and stay up to date with what our audience is asking. Your content is so up to date and relevant. It's cra- Every time it comes out, I have content jealousy, just so you know. <laughs> I literally have content jealousy. So if anyone has limiting thoughts out there right now and you ever beat yourself up over your content, please know that when I see everything that Bola and her team are kicking out, I have content jealousy as well. Like I I have the negative self-talk there as well. Now, how big is your team that's helping you with the content? So uh, the core collaborative finance team is six people. And then we have... Um, so we do, a, just to kind of take it back a step, we do a variety of different types of content. So we have social content, right? That's content that we share on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook. And or maybe we're starting a TikTok. Uh, if we can figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of old at this point. Um, and then we Good have the, the content that we 
put on the podcast, which is me recording with a guest. And then we have the content on the YouTube channel, which is like me with a guest or me by myself. And then we have the content that we put on the, on the blog. So outside of the core team, um, there is, you know, from a content perspective on our core team, we have someone who manages like brand strategy and design and they're focused on the cohesive look across all these different platforms so that when you see it, you kind of start to tie it together. Oh yeah, that's Clever Girl Finance. Um, and then we have our team of writers. We have about nine writers who create content for us. Um, and then we have a video videographer who supports our video creation and then the editor who supports our podcast creation. So there's a number of different people who support all the content that we put out. Um, even though I'm the face of the business, it, it is impossible for me to do it all. Oh, well, you guys do such a good job. And that's just a reflection of your leadership. So just know how much, how much I respect that because you guys are crushing it. Thank you. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> so I want to be conscious of your time, but I have to steer this conversation towards not just generosity, but the incredible generous step that you took in making all of your resources free. People have to understand these were paid resources before, but now you made them free for individuals to learn from and to educate themselves. And you've helped to eliminate a lot of excuses that people might have. What drove you to do this? So there were a number. So this happened in two folds. There was the coronavirus that hit, and then there was the amplification of the ongoing racial injustices that came after that. And then now both of them are kind of like, you know, in this big boiling pot, right? And for me as a leader, as someone who has this community of women, supporting women with their financial goals, when coronavirus happened, many of whom had just started their financial journeys, many of whom had been destabilized because while all this was happening, they were going through life transitions because life happens. People get divorced, people have babies, people get illnesses, people have all kinds of things happen. For me, it was a challenge to charge people who could not pay, mm-hmm. who were unable to pay especially when they were at this point that they wanted to improve their finances. So what I found is that people tend to find us clever or finance when they're going through a transition. And this is, this is how people make change in general. People tend to seek something out when they're going through that transition. It could be a positive transition, like getting your first job, getting married, having a baby, or it could be a negative transition, like getting sick, losing a job, getting divorced, death in the family. And while all this was happening online, I was seeing a lot of judgment and it was like, well, you should have had the emergency savings. You should have put yourself together. If you had done all these things, you wouldn't be in this space where you're struggling financially. And for me, it was like, there's so many reasons why people face financial difficulty. In addition to what I mentioned, there could be people trying to leave abusive relationships, long-term illness, impact from COVID, which as we all saw in the media impacted minority communities, especially the Black maybe more so than others. And so for me as a founder trying to promote financial wellness and help women grow, there was if we weren't going to make our courses free at that time, there was no other time to do it, right? Yeah. That, that was when we had to act. And I remember sitting with my team and them saying, are you sure you want to do this? Like, this is a big line of income on our balance sheet. Yep. I was like, we'll figure this out. So that and, you know, from the racial injustice perspective, knowing that, when you look at the, the racial wealth gap, these, these a lot of our audience is primarily Black and brown women. They come from communities who, who are targeted with unsavory financial products, who are targeted with payday loans, 
you know, struggle um, to get on their financial feet, given the fact that they don't come from money. Many of their first to graduate from college. Um, you know, they're carrying high burdens of student loans, which more minorities carry more so than than their non-minority counterparts. And so we just have to help. We have to put our foot forward and stand by our mission, which is empowering women to achieve financial wellness. And that's why we made our courses free. Um, and, you know, I just thought that when we made it free, it would just be, oh, you know, that's nice. But the response was overwhelming. Um, I couldn't believe it when, if, when, that, when we first announced it. That was not what we expected. Seriously, so impressive. I have to ask you about human nature. Um, sometimes I've seen when we do something for free, people don't take it as serious as when they have a little bit of skin in the game. Have you seen a downturn in people you know, working as hard through the courses and taking action? Or are you watching this just lift people up left and right, even though they have less skin in the game? So I think skin in the game depends. There are people who pay for things and I never use them, like me and my handbags, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are people who have paid hundreds and thousands of dollars for courses they have never completed. And there are people who have gotten things for free and they've taken full advantage of it. It boils down to the individual. How bad do you want to succeed? How bad do you want to change your situation? How bad do you want this never to be your situation again? And we're in this moment of time where nobody wants to ever find themselves where they don't have a fallback plan right? The way it has impacted so many people with COVID. People are in this space where they want to be able to uplift their families and build wealth and build generational wealth so that they can use their dollars and their voices to impact change in their communities and fight out against racial injustices. So women right now in our community, we actually have about 5% men who have joined quietly and we love you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you're welcome to be part of our community. You know, <laughs> um, They're there and they're doing the work and they're making the progress and they're setting the intention. So it boils down to the individual and the transition point that you're facing. And unfortunately, so many people are facing difficult transitions right now all at the same time. So we're watching people just be uplifted and constantly getting emails and messages every day. Thank you for doing this. This has impacted me. And I'm like, wow, we should have done this sooner. We, we should have, you know, like we should have made our courses free from the beginning because our mission is to empower women with their finance. So I'm so glad we made that decision. And, you know, when I, I also believe that when you do things um, with intention and with your heart, you always find ways to yep. keep going. And it's almost been like a miracle the way we have just really like, transitioned our income sources. Wow. I was going to ask um, about that. I bet um, some unexpected ones showed up, right? Yeah. So we are fortunate in the sense that... So I'll, I'll talk a bit more business if you don't mind. Please, I love it. <laughs> so as a financial expert, I, I'm very particular about multiple streams of income for my personal finances with my family and also for my business. So we have multiple streams of income um, through Clever Girl Finance. We do content creation for ourselves. We, like you said, you have content jealousy. We create content for a lot of other platforms as well as like behind the scenes, ghost content creators. We have brand partnerships. We have affiliate partnerships. We have advertising partnerships. We have all these different partnerships that we, we use to, to diversify our income. And also one of the... I've always had this inkling just from how I've grown up that what if, ha- what if something happens and I lose everything? What is my fallback? And that's watching my mom watch her friends 
this is me watching, you know, women go through divorces. And I took that same mindset into my business. And so one of the things that I started doing for Clever Girl Finance was open up an investment account where we, as a business with a brokerage, for the business. And I learned this from reading a book where it talked about how a lot of the really successful businesses, um, what we look at as their core product is not really their biggest product. So a classic example is McDonald's. And we all know them for their food, their french fries, their drive through One of their biggest assets on their balance sheet is not the income, the revenue from their food. It's actually the real estate that they own. And they do that by investing in real estate in addition to investing in their food products and serve customer service and things like that. So, you know, that's something that I have prioritized and continue to prioritize for the business so that if we have a window of months where it's just dead, um, we can still continue going. That's incredible. I want, wait, am I hearing this right? You started a fund that other women can invest in or you're no, just... No, 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 no. We, <laughs> no, we invest. So we're investing clever, a portion of our revenue. We're investing it on behalf of the business. It's our backup emergency fund. Emergency plans, it's part in cash and part in the stock market. Ah, okay. One, great job. Two, now what happens if you open up a fund for other women who trust you to invest in? That would be awesome. <laughs> Maybe that's down the line. <laughs> yes, seriously. That would be someone that you trust, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> I am so impressed. Your generosity, your content... Uh, your mission, everything. I want every single person listening right now to really take this seriously. You've got no excuses. Go check out the courses. Go check out the content. Go check out every single thing that Bola and her team are offering over at Clever Girl Finance. Even if you're a guy, like she said, because I'm checking it out. I'm I'm using yeah. it. And um, this is... You have... Just so you know, you have removed every obstacle almost every obstacle for people out there to finally take control of their finances. And you've done it in such a selfless way. And that, that is an inspiration to me. Thank you. So where can people go to sign up and do check everything out? Just stop by clevergirlfinance.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at clevergirlfinance. All right. Awesome. We'll make sure there's links in the show notes to everything. So I've got one last question for you. Yes. <laughs> Give me a reason why, and I'm going to say women in this case, people, of course, but give me a reason why women should be more unapologetic about their pursuit of building up their wealth. Oh my God, there's so many reasons. Number one, you're amazing. (laughs) Number two, you deserve it. Number three, you can be the role model to your children and even to your parents, right? You can be the epitomization of everything that they wanted to accomplish, but were unable to, especially for our moms and our grandmoms and for me, my aunt who is not formally educated and she look, she can look at me as an independent woman and be so proud despite the limitations that were forced upon her. Um, you you want to be financially successful for, for yourself, the things that you want to accomplish in your life. So yeah, so many reasons. But first and foremost, you are amazing and you have it in you to accomplish anything that you set your heart to. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely love that answer and every single answer that you've given us, Bola. You're absolutely an incredible human being and and I'm leaving this super inspired just like I'm sure everybody else is. So on behalf of every single listener, thank you just a trillion times over. Thank you for having me. My pleasure for sure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, 
please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.